0: If the bigger the spy equals the bigger the lie, then does the bigger the spy movie equal the bigger the lie to the critic score? It may not be scientific, but we'll approve of that statement. We're jumping into the pool early to let you know that Argyle is not that bad. <laughs> Welcome, welcome, one and all to It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A, grades and B, movies. Now, normally, we like to let a movie just stay. We like to let a movie sit in theaters, then get released to the home public before we jump on something. But my lovely wife, Carrie, who is here for the show, welcome. Hi.
1: Hello. Hi. <laughs>
0: we decided to have a family movie night out to go see the movie Argyle. And then we realized that it qualifies, so it became a working trip at that point. So
1: Okay, but to be fair, we did the same with Strays.
0: We did do the same with Strays. That's why I say normally we like to let the movie sit and gestate for a while and accumulate a full box office, but this time we got in early and holy crap, were the critics way wrong on this.
1: They're so mean.
0: They are mean. They're meaner than Twitter. Well, which is... Don't hard. you mean X? I mean whatever the hell it is. But, <laughs> but regardless of, regardless of, we are going to do our best. I make zero promises at all about this. We're going to do our best to not spoil this film and there's going to be times as we're talking that i'm sure that we're going to be absolutely frustrated because we can't say certain things about certain aspects of the film but we are going to do our absolute best to not spoil things now if it was in the trailer fair game absolutely fair game and if it was if it's non-spoilery enough we'll talk about it But please, by all means, go see this film in the theater while you can, and then come back and listen to the show if you're committed to going to watch the movie. But if not, if it's not your cup of tea, and I get it, action comedies or spy thrillers, they're not necessarily everyone's cup of tea. Completely understand. So welcome to the show. But if you're going to go watch, go watch it first and then come talk to us. But we're going to try. We're going to try our best no guarantees no promises so don't add us on this one here we're gonna try but before we do before we try our non-spoilerific look at argyle we're gonna take this 2024 release and trailerize it ellie conway
2: is a successful writer who has created a world beloved by her readers sold millions of copies around the world and is in demand for more tales of daring-do from her fictional creation. what happens next is so unbelievable, so humanly inconceivable, that the film is completely and utterly unrealistic. And no, I'm not talking about all the spy stuff. The unbelievable thing is that the rights to the character weren't bought out by some streaming service to turn into a series. I mean, seriously, how had no one thrown so much money at Ellie by this point? Nothing good in the to remains safe from streaming. She gets caught up in a high stakes, high octane world of high danger, and the only one protecting her is a guy whose every fight move is an audition for the Saturday Night Fever Fight Club mashup that needs to happen. I mean, think about it. Mortal Kombat meets Just Bring It. It's an idea so brilliant, it'll get snatched up by some streaming service. Bryce Dallas Howard and Sam Rockwell
0: star in Argyle.
2: Rated PG for perfectly
0: good. Do you know how hard it is to try to even think about purring? when doing that really messed up voiceover.
1: (laughs) I can imagine.
0: Like I'm looking at the words and I'm trying to visualize how it's doing it. And my body just said, ain't no way you're going to do this.
1: (laughs) That would be like a deep growl per thing. Like,
0: yeah, no. And no, that that would literally be the cat from hell. And no, I'm not talking about (laughs) God cat from the exploding kittens TV series. That's coming out on streaming, but bear with us on that one. This film, hell of a cast, massive cast. I mean, just listen to the names in this: Bryce Dallas Howard, Sam Rockwell, Henry Cavill, Brian Cranston, Dua Lipa, Ariana DeBose, John Cena, Catherine O'Hara, and Samuel L. M. F. Jackson. Seriously. And the cat. And... And Alfie. And the cat, yes. The movie was written by Jason Fuchs, who had previously directed Wonder Woman and Ice Age Continental Drift, and directed by Matthew Vaughn, most famous for the Kingsman series. Now, I have to laugh, because I kind of made fun of the idea that if Ellie Conway is so successful a writer, that why haven't her books been bought up by some streaming series? Well, guess what? Apple bought the distribution rights... For this movie, for a whopping $200 million, I rest my case, no one is safe from streaming. Which is good, though, because the film had a budget of $200 million, so it basically made its money back. Anything now is, like, house money, which is nice.
1: So, does that mean that, aside from the movie, they're going to be making a series?
0: No, no, no. It just means that Apple bought the distribution rights for the film. So they basically gave Matthew Vaughn $200 million, said, cool, you make this film, but we get to distribute it. So they basically, like, here's $200 million. And Matthew Vaughn said, hey, great. I know how to spend $200 million. And this is what he came up with. So that's kind of cool. But the thing is, the box office isn't looking good early on now. As we are recording this on a Tuesday, the Tuesday after opening weekend. So we have a very limited sample size for our box office here. Cause it's only been out one weekend by the time we record this. It of course debuted on the February 2nd weekend of 2024 with $18 million, $18 million. Now I want to put this into perspective. The next highest grossing thing in the theater, I say thing because it's not, it's not a movie, is episodes one to three of season four of a show called The Chosen that raked in six million. So Argyle is still three times better grossing than the next thing in the theaters, but that's that's not a, a big box office take for a film like this. And it gets even worse when you wanna put it into perspective, okay? So 18 million, I would say, for a non-massive budget film, like for a non-200 million dollar budget film, eighteen million is a good take. When you have a 200 million dollar budget, that's not good. But, I wanna point this out, okay? There was another movie that debuted in theaters this past weekend. And again, I say that we're recording on the Tuesday after the weekend this came out. A movie called How to Have Sex, it debuted in only four theaters, only four, okay? Compared to Argyle's 3,605 theaters, How to Have Sex made $52,008, So, if you want to take a look at a per theater average, per theater average, okay? Argyle made $4,993 per theater. How to Have Sex made $13,002 per theater. So, almost, two, actually more than two and a half times the Perth theater take on opening weekend over Argyle how to have sex. I'm hoping it's not an instructional film.
1: <laughs> I was going to say like I, I don't know if it's frightening that there's that many people that are intrigued by the concept of a how-to video.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, mean, it's not like it's the dummy's guide to having sex. Can't
1: they just like watch i don't know old pamela anderson or paris hilton videos like there's well, well something ma- called maybe YouTube.
0: maybe those videos for how to have sex but <laughs> i mean you could just go and watch the mating habits of the earthbound human again not an instructional video but you do realize that mating habits of the earthbound human does actually qualify so one day we may need to go down that road
1: Ah, oh, i guess
0: I, right now, everyone listening is going, how do you go from Argyle to the mating habits of the earthbound human? Trust us, watch it, not an instructional film.
1: <laughs> we took a wrong turn at Albuquerque.
0: Well, I did say we're not, we're not going to spoil Argyle. Yes. So we may just have to spend it talking about other films, but you know, we'll try. We'll try. But the reason why we are here is that critics suck ass. Over at Metacritic, this film has a Metascore of 36 and over at Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score is 70%. The Tomatometer 35%. What the hell were the critics thinking putting a 35% score on this film?
1: Clearly the people have spoken and the people are right. I mean, never listen to the critics, 70%,
0: even 70% seems a bit low, but I mean, there are aspects where I could sit there and say, okay, maybe I can, if you had told me that the critic score was 70%, I would have believed that I could have made that could have made sense to me, but 35, like, honestly, honestly, I'm going to ask you in your non-official critic but still kind of critic role here as We're guest of this anti-critic. podcast yeah with the <laughs> but still I'm gonna put it to you okay mm-hmm. if you're a critic, can you see anything in this film that would justify it even going down to 50 percent?
1: The only thing that I can imagine is maybe they went in expecting something different and this movie did not fail to deliver like the everything it was funny it was interesting it was plot twist and turn and um a fantastically executed um pirouette with a with a bullet thanks sam rockwell i mean (laughs) he is always dancing in i mean that's like his his trademark his calling card and he did it so damn well
0: oh yeah i i do absolutely need saturday night fever fight club to be a thing
1: i mean it's kind of like what intrigued me was the trailer after watching the trailer remember i had said it's kind of like bullet train meets um oh god the lost city the lost city exactly um and yet it was so much more hmm friends it was so much more so go see it bring up the audience score and let's tell the critics they're wrong
0: now let me put this into perspective though because i i do want to draw a few comparables okay if you were to take a look at the kingsman movies the ones directed by matthew vaughn okay of the three of them this film has a lower critic score than the three but it is very close. Okay, so just let me run through the numbers here for a second. Kingsman, the Secret Service, that was released in 2014, has a 75% tomatometer. Kingsman, the Golden Circle, released in 2017, has a 50 a 50% tomatometer. And the Kingsman has a 40% tomatometer. So... It's not like Argyle is far off from the other Matthew Vaughn-directed films.
1: You know, it's interesting that the numbers went downward. Mm -hmm. When in watching them, I actually thought they got better and better as the series went on. Like, I liked the second one better than the first, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, The King's Man was... Far superior. It was, I think. I well, think, well, you just like re-siphons. You like
0: re-siphons oh, and re-siphons in, in the King's Man, but also put this into perspective. Okay, looking at the audience score because a movie like this really is a testament to the viewers and the people who go to the theaters. Argyle has a better audience score than Kingsman: The Golden Circle. Kingsman: The Golden Circle sits at sixty-four percent, with Argyle sitting at seventy. So the audience feels that it's a good enough film. And it's almost somewhat reassuring to see that some other Matthew Vaughn films are at least close to that 35%. But I think Argyle is, you have to think it's going to go up, at least audience score wise.
1: I hope so. I really, really do. Maybe everyone's just too busy watching How to Have Sex
3: But let's get into this
0: film, though, which is also not an instructional film, okay? Um, And figure out where the critics went wrong. And we start with Bryce Dallas Howard, who plays Ellie. How is Ellie for you in this?
1: Oh, my God, she's adorable. I absolutely (laughs) loved her. From the first moment that she was in that, um, like, author's um, Q&A, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm really going to enjoy this movie. And I can't say too much, but oh my gosh. Like, just, I mean, you, you literally just want to be her best friend and like, you know, be the person on the other end of the phone that she's calling and just chatting and, and talking through her writer's block. Mm -hmm. Can I say that? Is that too much? No, No, that's fair. I
0: I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, One of the movies that this film is going to get compared to, like a lot, of course, is The Lost City. Because it's the idea of the writer getting tangled up in some kind of crazy adventure that parallels the work that she's been writing. The Lost City has a tomatometer of 79% and an audience score of 83%. I would argue that Argyle may actually have a better overall story than The Lost City. But I can see performance parallels between Bryce Dallas Howard and Sandra Bullock. And really, if you're looking for someone to do action as well as comedy, because really, Argyle, it's, it's an action comedy. There's no question about that. We know Bryce Dallas Howard can do both.
1: I'm actually going to disagree with you, and I am You're going to so... disagree that she can't do both? Like... I am... No, no, no. Uh, about the previous statement, I am so sorry to any Sandra Bullock fans. This is no disrespect, but I think that Ellie was so much more likable than... Than Sandra Bullock's, Sandra Bullock's character in The Lost City, character. yeah. Exactly. Like, I found that, you know... You just, you're rooting for, her, for Ellie the entire time during the movie. And yet, there were times during The Lost City where I was just like, ugh, like, <laughs> you know, let her go off on her own. Let her, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, I connected more with Ellie. And so, you really want to see everything work out well for her. And that's all I'm going to say. I
0: think there's something just genuinely sweet about Ellie. You know, we think about it, right? Here's a writer who, you know, basically when it comes to the love of her life, the love of her life has four legs and lots of fur and her own backpack. And his, sorry, his own backpack. And that's Alfie the cat, which of course was all over the trailers. Like Ellie is, I'm going to use her own quote because when asked about creating the character of Ellie, Bryce Dallas Howard basically um, compared Ellie to Taylor Swift in that, aside from the idea apparently of carrying a, a pet around in a backpack, she used the phrase unapologetically dorky about Taylor Swift and that's kind of the personality that she brought to Ellie and there is something just genuinely sweet about the idea of really unapologetically dorky. You know, Ellie is who Ellie is. She's comfortable with that, even though sometimes she has those moments of, well, maybe, but then she pulls herself back. Like, Ellie is very relatable, whereas Sandra Bullock's character in The Lost City, not as much. I I think I agree with you on that one. And she's good, too, when it comes to the comedy and the action. I mean, you think about Jurassic World. Bryce Dallas Howard was phenomenal in that. But then if you take a look at her in the episode that she was in in Black Mirror... Holy crap. The best Black Mirror episode of that season. Go watch it. Like the depth to her acting is solid. And I will say too, phenomenal director as well. Okay. Bryce Dallas Howard is just stupidly talented. That there you go. I'm just gonna sit back for a second and I'm gonna let you gush for a little bit. Because it's time to talk about Sam Rockwell, who oh, plays Aiden. I'm ready.
1: Okay. <laughs> Love. Okay. Um, like I said earlier, Sam Rockwell is always dancing. It's like his signature calling card. Um, Mr. Wright, um, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. I'm even trying to think back to matchstick men was he he dancing in that one i don't know about matchstick
0: men but i can guarantee you there was absolutely zero dancing in in galaxy quest but he did dance during iron man 2 of course when he played justin hammer
1: also he had a bit of a dance number in charlie's angels did he not? oh yeah yeah oh yes very much so so i mean it really is it's again it is just perfect his choreographed Fight scenes were literally like watching a ballet with bullets. Like, it, I mean, the entire train sequence, and I can say that because
0: it's in, it's it's, it's, it's in, in the trailer. It's in the trailer. We're safe now. We're There's safe still. So
1: much more to it.
0: It really does feel like imagine a John Woo film, but played at regular speed.
1: But the thing is, it was funny. It was so fun. It was, it was kind of like Bullet Train. It had that kind of like humor to it, yeah. right? Like, you know, you can't possibly take it serious if someone takes a a bullet right, you know, to the chest because it's, it's actually done in, in humor.
0: Okay. I'm going to say something maybe controversial because I know, I know you like bullet, bullet Train. I know you love Bullet Train. Oh, I loved it. I found that the trailer to Bullet Train made it seem funnier than it was. This one, it gave you exactly what it promoted it to be.
1: Fair enough, but... I still liked the intertwining of the characters in Bullet Train. I, oh, I, I thought they did it well.
0: I'm not saying anything It's the story. I just found that it was more action than comedy, but the trailer made it feel more comedy than action. I May- think
1: they, yeah, they just put all the humor in the trailer.
0: Yeah, which you're getting that. Don't worry about that. You're getting that. This one had more comedy to give, though, than what you got in the trailer. But I'm glad you mentioned Mr. Wright. It's a very Sam Rockwell character. It's almost like it was written specifically for Sam Rockwell. You could almost see them sitting there going, all right, so we got the character of Aiden and it's going to be Sam Rockwell. We want Sam Rockwell. We're going to pay Sam Rockwell. Apple gave us money to get a Sam Rockwell. So make sure there's lots of dancing in it. Do you think it's too Sam Rockwell of a character?
1: Is there such thing?
0: I would, I would argue because there were times when I'm watching this and- Keep in mind, I am not saying I would ever replace Bryce Dallas Howard in this film. But there were times where if you had taken Bryce Dallas Howard out and put Anna Kendrick in, it would have felt like Mr. Right, too.
1: Hmm. You know what? I think there's just something genuinely likable about Sam Rockwell. Um, Without saying too much, the fact that he... There are times where you question him and his motives and his why, and yet you find yourself almost feeling guilty for even questioning him because he is just so damn genuinely sincere. And I hope I didn't say too much, but that's...
0: Well, let me, let me ask it a different way then, okay? Do you feel... That Sam Rockwell is falling into Christopher Walken territory in that people are writing the roles for him based on the same style of character that he's played over and over again.
1: Well, I I think if you're writing for Sam Rockwell, or, I mean, let's be honest, if you're writing for Sam Jackson, right? Like, even Samuel L. M. F. Jackson's role in this movie... Now it's, it's like Sam Jackson light. I mean, he didn't drop any MFs, but it was still, what would Sam, like, it's kind of like the writers were like, what would Sam do? Whether it be Sam Rockwell or Samuel L. Jackson, right? And, and I think there's something kind of okay with that because actors, even though they're actors and really they could turn on a dime and completely change their persona, I think there's something almost comforting that when you see Sam Rockwell, you know you're going to get, like, the hitman with a heart of gold. And you know that there's going to be that tender moment where it's like, aww. Like, it's just, that's just how it is. That's what you tend to expect and what you get from Sam Rockwell.
0: But I'm going to turn this on you, though, okay? Because... Just last week, just last episode, we talked about Terminal. And one of the things in that film was that you had actors like Simon Pegg and Mike Myers in roles that are very separate from their normal type of comedic roles. And we loved them in that movie for that.
1: Yeah. And again, I mean, that's why they're actors. That's why they do what they do. But... There is something comforting about when they play a character, and it's always a different character. I mean, Mr. Wright was a different, and again, this is going to get tricky, but it's a different character.
0: It's, it's a different assassin.
1: It's, it is. And you know what? Just watch the movie and know that there's going to be times where your like is going to be challenged, but it all works out. Sam Rockwell style with a dance. A dance and a bullet.
0: Just using your argument, though, I would have loved to have seen George Lucas try to write Star Wars for Samuel L. Jackson. Like, I could just see it now. Did the sign on the spaceship say dead Jedi storage? No!
1: Well, I mean, there's a very good reason why Mace Windu had the purple lightsaber.
0: Yeah, so he could be seen.
1: Uh, <laughs> it's cuz, you know, Sam Jackson wanted the purple lightsaber. He wanted to be different, right? And, you know, if Sam Jackson wants, I'm assuming
0: <laughs> Okay, but he's not going to walk into a room, you know, fire up his lightsaber and say, "Oh, I'm sorry, did I did I, you know, grab your attention?" <laughs> Which we now need to take every single Mace Windu scene and overdub it with lines from other films. Needs oh my to happen. God. Yeah. Right. Needs to happen. Henry Cavill, who played Agent Argyle in this. I freaking howl at the, the the Henry Cavill's ability to almost make fun of the dead seriousness of most of his other characters. But how was Henry Cavill in this for you?
1: He was absolutely perfect. You know what? Like, there was just something about him that Without saying too much, just watch the movie. (laughs) Just watch the movie. We're just going to sit here for for a full
0: hour and say, just watch the movie. Watch the movie.
1: There is so much that I want to say about his performance, about his scenes, but I'm afraid of saying too much.
0: Okay. Well, first things first, we need to address the crime of this film. I wonder what atrocities he committed to the hairdressers to make them do that to his head.
1: (laughs) No, but that, I think that was, I think it was actually perfect.
0: Oh, it's absolutely perfect. And I think it's even better that at no point did, did Argyle ever make... Any comments or did anyone make any comments about his hair? It's basically like it's there. It it's it feels like that moment in Austin Powers where it's like, don't look at the mole, don't say mole, moly, 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 molly. It's like <laughs> all of a sudden, don't don't look at the hair, don't point at the hair, hair Okay,
1: okay, but can we talk about the figurine? Like Oh, absolutely. Okay, so that's what I was fighting to to not mention is that um Agent Argyle was such a pivotal character that he was actually characterized as a figurine, mm-hmm. which sat on Ellie's desk. And 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 again, it, if you picture like someone being the face of a novelization, like picture Harry Potter, okay? Or try to picture Harry Potter without picturing Daniel Radcliffe as Harry Potter.
0: Well, is going to make you try. So
1: if you're reading the book, if you're reading any novel series, right? You read the books and you get in your mind a picture of how the character should look. I think where I'm going with this is that Henry Cavill was absolutely perfection to be Agent Argyle. And the scenes in which he kept popping up in, because...
0: I mean, he, he is Agent Argyle, and Ellie is. writes about Agent Argyle. So we, we know, we know, right? But the interesting thing here is this. You have to take a look at Henry Cavill's body of work, okay? He was the most emo Superman that ever Supermaned. He was emo even more in The Witcher, although it kind of fit with The Witcher. So... He has, and all of a sudden, like, he's got the, you know, the very serious, you know, cock the guns, you know, before fighting Tom Cruise in one of the Mission Impossible films. He has this history of playing these very stoic, very serious kind of roles. So Argyle almost seems like it's almost poking fun at the absurdity of Henry Cavill being so serious.
1: I'm sure he had a blast with that. But that's the thing. He was probably like, oh, finally, thank God I get to be silly, to be
0: serious. It's almost like that ability for Ryan Reynolds to, after... Having to play Deadpool in a way that offended the entire world in X-Men Origins, Wolverine, and then getting to play the proper version of Deadpool in his own Deadpool film. Like it's almost like being able to say, Okay, now we got it. and then to kill off his his former self in Deadpool 2 in the, the post credit scenes, like, yes, yes, and yes. Here, yes, Henry Cavill is literally almost soaking in the enjoyment of this role because he is he's Picture perfect for it. Absolutely. Speaking of Henry Cavill, we have to talk about his sidekick, uh, Mr. John Cena.
1: <laughs> you know what? I can't help but laugh and smile when I see John Cena come on screen. Like, like it's... I mean, in, in whatever movie, he is just so damn likable, whether it's The Peacemaker or um, even... I absolutely love... Um,
0: Playing with fire? Playing
1: with fire. Like, because he starts out this, like, big, tough, muscly guy who's super serious. But he's really funny. He's really likable. And and exactly in this character, you know?
0: I, I want to point out to our listeners that if you're going into this looking for John Cena, he is somewhat underused in this. But because of the character he's playing, it makes sense. I want to draw a comparison to another fictional character from a novel series that actually has been turned into movies before much to the chagrin of the author at the time and that's the Clive Cussler novels. If you take a look at the 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 duo from the Clive Cussler novels Dirk Pitt and Al Giordino. When they made the movie Sahara and I I mentioned Sahara because I have not watched Raise the Titanic yet. So, Sahara is direct from the Clive Cussler novel. Matthew McConaughey as Dirk Pitt, it grew on me. It absolutely grew on me. I'm fine with it. Al Giordino is described as a short, stocky, Italian, like, strong man, basically. That's Dirk Pitt's right-hand man. In this film, John Cena is the Al Giordino if Henry Cavill is Dirk Pitt and almost the perfect person for that role. By the way, for the record, movie Sahara, the short, stocky Italian guy, supposed to be, the cast Steve Zahn. Definitely <laughs> not. To the point of he even had problems saying his own character's name in the movie and they left it in.
1: I actually enjoyed him in that. No. I, I, th- I thought he was. But the thing
0: is. I thought he was great. If you don't know the character of Al Giordano, then okay,
1: maybe. Which I don't. I don't. I've never read the books.
0: So. See, there's the thing. I read so many of the books. And when I saw starring Steve Zahn. <laughs> <laughs> no. no. Just, just no. 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 If you would put John Cena in that role, okay. You know what? Okay. I'm fine with that. If if a Sahara movie ever happens and you want to put John Cena in the Al Giordano role, do it. I'm fine with it.
1: But he is neither, well,
0: he's not short. No, but he's also not super tall, though. I mean, he's 6'1", so he's actually only slightly shorter than I am. So, okay, I'm kind of tall. Well,
1: uh, I'm five nothing. Everybody's taller than me.
0: Five foot, tall. F-
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sam Rockwell's taller than me.
0: Okay, but don't put Sam Rockwell in the outro. No, 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 no. <laughs> just, just no. I'm sure there are other better actors, but I guarantee you John Cena is a way better fit for that character than Steve Zahn was. And again, I'm diatribing here and moving away from Argyle, but we can talk about Sahara all we want because we. Yeah, It's been long enough, but one day we should actually do an episode on Sahara because it does qualify. Brian Cranston, as the head of the directorate, how was he for you?
1: Ooh. <laughs> um, loved the character use. Period. End of story. I can't say too much on this one because this is where it gets...
0: Dicey? Twisty. So... I'm going to say a few things that will not give away the plot. Okay. I'm going to
1: let you take the lead on this but, one.
0: But it will absolutely give you a feel for the character that he is playing. There is a reason why when they were making or getting ready to do the Superman films, like under the DCEU, there was a lot of push to get Brian Cranston to be Lex Luthor. In this movie it explains why he would have made a good lex luthor you know he is in that position of authority and he walks that fine line of you know it's it's almost like the comedy version of whoever's in charge of the born supremacy and that's brilliant and menacing that's the thing too lex luthor is a well he's a more business oriented more professional albeit evil mastermind, his presence can be menacing with the tone and the tonality of his voice.
1: He played it well because even when he was supposed to be likable or trusted, Mm -hmm. he was still scary AF.
0: But that's the thing. If Lex Luthor is turning on the charm, it's going to be even scarier because what does he want and why is he being nice to you? Mm -hmm. Like That's like, if you have a villain... And they start to be nice to you. You have to question what the hell and are you going to live past this? And that's kind of the vibes you get from Brian Cranston in this. The always adorable Catherine O'Hara, who played Ellie's mom in this. Freaking love Catherine O'Hara. Absolutely love her. But how was she for you?
1: Oh, my gosh. And this is where I'm afraid I'm going to say too much as well. Um... I mean, she is just so enjoyable to watch. Like whether it be in movies or television. I mean, Shits Creek. Come on! And I heard that she actually just signed on um, for the This Is This Is Us. Okay. Um, so she's going to be playing a role in that as well. Um, I mean, oh my gosh! You can't help but enjoy. I don't think she's ever had a bad role. No. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but she's always so fantastic and she brings so much to the table whenever she's she's in any movie or TV series. I really enjoy watching her. She's just I mean, she's the kind of person I would love to meet and just like chat with because she is just she seems so genuinely sweet. Oh yeah, I mean... Until she's not.
0: She she is the kind of person that you could put (laughs) her in the absolute worst movie ever and she'd probably end up still being the best part of the film and make at least that that role or that character likable. By the way, the lowest, lowest tomatometer movie for her is 2004's Surviving Christmas with an 8% tomatometer.
1: Oh, but I'm sure that has nothing to do with her performance. No, and, and
0: that's the thing. I'm just saying the movie has that rating. When you're casting someone to be Bryce Dallas Howard's mother in this, Catherine O'Hara is one of two people that I would have picked for this. The only other person I could pick would be Mary Lou Henner. Catherine O'Hara, I think, is better for this movie to play her mother because, you know... As you mentioned, Ellie is bubbly and likable, even with all her quirks and her faults and her quote unquote, you know, uh, unashamed dorkiness, right? Catherine O'Hara fits that mold. She makes sense as Bryce Dallas Howard's mother. It's pitch perfect casting. And anytime you get a chance to have the perfect role for someone like Catherine O'Hara, you you snag her up and you put her in it
1: Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win.
2: And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package.
1: And guess what, Rockers? You can enter every month, so just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S.
0: couple of smaller roles to talk about here, and I'm going to start with you on this one, because it's Samuel L. M. F. Jackson.
1: Oh, he, he was, you know what? As soon as he was introduced on the screen, I was like, yes. But I mean, I knew, right? Because he's in the trailer. Yes. Um, but his role, when he is introduced, the movie is just starting to get good. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, I guess that's all I can really say about it. Um, he was so enjoyable to watch each each time they kept coming back to his scene.
0: Let me put the same Sam Rockwell question to you, to Samuel L. Jackson. Was it too much Samuel L. Jackson personality in this role for you, or did it need that touch? Could you have put any other actor in that role? Hmm. Because it's not a big role.
1: It's not a big role, but he just brought... Something to it, and I don't think I'm saying too much. Like the, the scene when he's just sitting in what would be like a master control. Because like, can I say his like his um
0: his 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 little mini control center. He's like a
1: CIA operative, right? Mm. He he's like a director. No, not of...
0: not not CIA, but he is of the spy ilk.
1: Oh, I thought he was. CIA. Okay. No, no, okay. Anywho, he is. The director. Let's just call him the director. And yet he's sitting in this like...
0: Not not really, but we're trying our best not to spoil things. So he is in a position where he would have a control room.
1: Anyway, he's sitting in a control room watching the Lakers game. Might not be Lakers, but he's watching a game. And I just tend to think that was so funny. Because it was kind of like... Okay, all of this is going on.
0: And, and he's kicking back and watching the game.
1: He's watching the game. With <laughs> his feet up on the table. And...
0: <laughs> yeah, I
1: can't say anymore.
0: The thing is, I think... Could you have put anyone else in that role? Yeah, you probably could have. No, but no, no. Hear, hear me out. Okay. But if you're going to put someone in that role for the tonality of this film... And it's at this point where you almost need a little bit of a, a, a levity breath. Because a lot of things, by the time Samuel Jackson appears in this film, there have been a few things that have happened in this film. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But having him in his presence and the way his character's personality is, is a bit of a, a breather a chance for you to catch your breath and get ready for the next series of shocks that's going to happen. So could you have taken this character and and, and simplified the character? Yes, you could have. But I think Samuel L. Jackson's personality gives the momentary breath that the viewer needs so they can catch up.
1: I was just going to say, I think it's absolutely perfect that he shares the name with the cat.
0: Mm, Absolutely. And... That's all we're going to say about that.
1: And that's all... No, but it's a nice little nod. It is. To his Nick Fury role because he doesn't get along very well with cats.
0: So... A little bit, yeah. Okay, well, that's not a cat. So that's reaching. Goose is a flurkin. Okay.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: Mother flurkin. <laughs>
1: it's like, oh, what is wrong with that cat?
0: <laughs> okay, one last small role to bring up is Dua Lipa. She, of course, of the spy with the dance moves and you know catches henry cavill in her trap kind of thing when we talk about singers making the jump to acting and bigger movies more often than not you see a lot of these you know singers getting movies that are designed to be vehicles for them right instant starring role and everything else happens around them in order to be able to make the star or at least the singer, a movie star as well. You know, you think Britney Spears and Crossroads. You think Madonna in movies like Desperately Seeking Susan and Who's That Girl, you know. Dua Lipa being in a role this, for lack of a better term, small, and also being in the Barbie movie as well last year as part of an ensemble cast, I think it's smart for her and for her career, if she's going to be moving into acting, to take these smaller ensemble roles, that means the focus doesn't have to be entirely on her, and she can just be comfortable in the role and not be the, not have to carry the weight of the film on her. But her presence in this film—how was Dua Lipa for you?
1: I mean, it was it was good to see her in the role. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. Because I can say it because it was in the, it was in the. Oh, she was in the the trailer. trailer. There was
0: zero question. She was in the trailer.
1: Um, I mean, it was it was lovely. It was. um, What can I say? But it was really just a dance scene.
0: (laughs) I I mean, it was good action scene, and it helped. I think her presence in this helped to set up the tonality of Argyle and his world very well. You know, because it is, it's very kind of James Bond-esque and you could see Dua Lipa being almost a Bond girl-esque type of villain in this. But since we've now talked about, really, a massive cast, an absolutely massive cast, and they're all on the poster. They are. And by the way, we're not talking about Ariana DeBose because we're really trying not to say things. But she (laughs) would... She was great. She was good. That's all you need to know. But we can't say things. Knowing everyone that was in this movie and having them on the poster, you have already these high expectations for a film. Do you think it would have served the movie better if you had taken some of the people off the poster and out of the trailer and let those reveals be a bit more
1: surprising? I almost kind of wonder, because you almost need to drop that spoiler because of the way the movie is. There are many, many, many twists and turns, and I think the trailer at least gives you that little bit of insight that you need going into it.
0: Well, okay, well, let, let me ask you this then, okay? Dua Lipa, okay, maybe you put her in the trailer because you want to make sure that people show up. I mean, and you could really just show her dance in that scene, you know, and put, like, critic comments around her about the movie, and that's fine, and it doesn't spoil anything. You could have removed Samuel Jackson from the poster and from the trailer so when he appears... It's the all of a sudden this big, oh, it's him kind of moment. Like, his presence in the trailer didn't need to be there. Same thing with John Cena,
3: mm-hmm. right?
0: You could have not put John Cena on the poster at all or in the trailer at all. And let that be a fun
1: reveal. I agree with that. But I don't know if taking Sam Jackson out of the trailer. I don't know. Like again, you as an audience or more so as as a filmmaker and editor of those trailers, you want people to buy tickets based on who's oh, in it. Absolutely, so you, yes. You want you want at least that glimpse. But the thing is
0: though, we already know who is in. Right? Bryce Dallas Howard is a big enough star. Sam Rockwell's a big enough star. You know, you wanna put Brian Cranston on there? Sure. Absolutely. Yes. No problem there. Henry Cavill, you need to put you need to put him there. Yeah. Right? That's freaking Superman. You gotta put him there, right? There are, and Catherine O'Hara, put her on there as well. That's totally fine. But some of these smaller roles could have been really cool surprise moments. We don't get surprise moments that that often in the movies anymore.
1: I think even Catherine O'Hara, you could have possibly left her out and then it would have been the, oh, this is going to be great because she's in it. You, Actually, know?
0: you probably could have left Brian Cranston out, mm-hmm. but, but, but put Catherine O'Hara in because Catherine O'Hara at least solidifies um, Ellie's writing woes in her writer's block. I mean, that makes sense, right? But the thing is, you know, I like to be surprised. I mean, remember when we went to go see the Marvels and then we get that post credit scene of the post credit scene that it is, by the way, um, by the time this episode comes out, the Marvels is on Disney plus already. So I'm, I'm just going to say it now, you know, we get that post credit scene of beast, you know, and binary at the end where it's like, (gasps) and I, I squeed, I squeed (laughs) in the theater and I had that moment. I had that moment that wasn't spoiled. You know, unlike Doctor Strange of the Multiverse of Madness, where we had our you know our our Peggy Carter and and you know,
1: and our other Captain Marvel, like don't spoil, don't spoil. Okay, but keeping in the theme of spoilers, if you see this in theaters, stick around. Yes, for stick the around. Credit scene.
0: Yes, definitely stick around for the post credit scene. I just wish. I just wish that we got a a surprise me a little trailer people. And the thing is, it has nothing to do with Matthew Vaughn. He's not the, normally the directors aren't the ones who are cutting the trailers, Mm -hmm. right? The studio does that. I get that. The other thing I want to point out is this. We have to talk about the box office at $18 million for a $200 million budget film. People are already saying that this is a flop. And if you're just taking a look at a box office perspective, then yes, by most traditional historical metrics of how we look at movies, it's a flop. The problem is the economics of movie going have changed. You think about it. Prices are high for everything, you know? And it costs a lot to go to the theaters. You know, I I think we can all agree with that one. It costs a lot, especially if you're like, you got kids, you know, you're a family of three, four, five, go to the movie theaters. That's like a hundred bucks you're dropping.
1: That's if you don't want candy.
0: Well, (laughs) exactly. You tell the kids they can't have popcorn.
1: Yeah.
0: Ooh. But the thing is... With the, with the rise of streaming services as well, and you definitely see this with the superhero films, is that they're on streaming so quick that the movie-going audience has learned patience. They're already paying for the service. You know. And if you think about it, the cost of one of these streaming services is the cost of one ticket. I wonder, and this is the big question I want to ask you about this film. If you just take a look at the box office of this film, it's a it's a bust. But in the year of our podcast, 2024, should the box office be the arbiter of what is good?
1: No. And I don't think the critics' opinions either. I mean critics have always been full. So you know what? Those who are spending the is it 18.
0: 18 million. million
1: dollars, right? Um, let the audience speak on the wonders of this movie. Because it really was, I mean, we we did. We went out as a family, which was pricey. Yeah. But I regret nothing. No. I think, I think this movie was definitely worth it. It is, by the way, our boys enjoyed it as much as we did. So it is indeed...
0: <laughs> Trust me, that's saying something.
1: It is indeed a family-friendly movie. There's points of laughter for everybody. Yeah, and it's it's PG,
0: right? So if you're fine with your kids hearing a little bit of swearing, okay, right? But it's not bloody. It's not gory. And it's not overly. No, oh God, no. And, and the action is is tempered with a lot of humor as well. So it's actually a lot of fun.
1: Well, that's the thing, is the main fight scenes are all done with such humor and they're done, like, With, so, with a whole
0: lot of color, too.
1: So beautifully choreographed, you know? Like, um, again, it's it's the humor in the fight scenes. It's exactly what, you know, a, a, a trip to the movie theater with the family Um, It's everything you could have hoped for. Yeah. But I mean, it raises a
0: viable question, though, of what in 2024 determines if a movie is a success or not? Because from a studio perspective, success equals money at the box office, right? From a franchise perspective, it's not only money at the box office, but it's also toy sales, which I don't think you're going to get toy sales out of a movie like Argyle unfortunately because i know you'd you would want an argyle toy
1: a cat in the backpack
0: i mean yeah you're probably going to be able to sell a couple funko's out of this if ever you know we get the argyle funko's and yeah those would sell for sure there's no question a movie like this is not going to get awards either at least not the big awards you know maybe an mtv vma possibly Maybe a kid's choice award, maybe a people's choice award, but not necessarily like it's not an Oscar worthy film. No, it's not. Maybe for some of the technical teams and for some of the, uh, you know, the sound design and whatnot. Okay, sure. And then on streaming, well, what denotes a good streaming film? And if Apple's got the distribution rights, you know, it's not going to be long before it ends up on Apple TV. I, I guess the question becomes, can you really call A movie, a flop anymore, if the box office is no longer the factor that it used to be, if the critic scores and the 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 reviews are more designed or or at least more intended to, you know, be pseudo witty with a thesaurus kind of thing, and you don't care whether you're mean about a a decent film. How do you determine if a film is, is successful? I don't know. Maybe if it's one of those things where you look at the box office and say, okay, first weekend, maybe not so much, but longevity. Longevity is a possibility. You know, you take a look at some films that are actually still in the theaters. It's like, wow, it's still bringing in some coins. So it has some rewatchability factor. And I think you're going to start to see some studios hold back on releasing movies to streaming. The other thing, too, is physical media. Best Buy came out and said they're no longer going to be carrying DVDs and Blu-rays. Physical media isn't necessarily... The selling point or the cash cow that it used to be, you know, and maybe it's because these streaming services have made DVDs somewhat obsolete. You almost need to to start to see streaming services fail. Before we get back to real metrics of what a success is, because in this current climate, where movie tickets are one of the first things cut in a personal budget in an expensive economy. And I
1: need to check our budgeting because yeah. we're still seeing movies.
0: But, <laughs> but maybe it's the theaters that need to do something mm.
1: because,
0: you know, let's be honest, they charge a load for the snacks... And for the tickets as well. But the funny thing is, you're also seeing them start to put older movies back in the theaters. You know, the one near us has been showing the Harry Potter films again. Yes. And we went to go see the third one, and the theater was fairly packed. Now, it wasn't the big premiere theaters. It was one of the smaller ones off to the side. But still... There there were more seats on a per seat basis than there was when we went to go see Argyle. There were more empty seats as far as the capacity went. And that's not good. And maybe it's just because I'm worried. I am worried that if the current lack of box office success continues, studios are going to start to pull back on the amount of movies that are made.
1: I doubt that. But I can see them going straight to streaming. Or like a pay-per-view format almost. Well, I like, mean,
0: I would, I would be very curious home? though. Because you see, if theaters are, are going back and getting older movies to put into the theaters. And streaming services are constantly you know, re-upping older movies because let's, you know, there, there were bidding wars for shows like Seinfeld and Friends, you know, and The Office. And people, the minute it shows up, people are like, hey, I'm going to watch this show again that I've watched 50 million times. And I understand the comfort level in watching some of those older shows and some of those older movies. But if back Catalog is drawing more streams than new original content because there's a a stigma towards new streaming content that goes straight to streaming, right? It's the whole, like, oh, this this film didn't have a box office. It went straight to video. There were some very, very good straight-to-video movies. And there are some very good straight-to-streaming movies. But the stigma is still there. But if older movies are getting the dollars and the streams, then what's the point? I guess what I'm trying to say is, Go see the damn films in the theater. If you love movies, go experience it in the theater before you can't. That's my diatribe for the day. But now it's come time. So we got through, we survived, I think. I I, I think we did a good job of not spoiling. I think, I think did. so,
1: and it's funny because I usually suffer from foot in mouth syndrome. So <laughs> I I did I did well. There were a few points where I'm like, nope, can't I yeah. can't answer.
0: Yeah, nope. this is going. To be, this is one of the more restrained episodes that we have done because we do we want you to go to the theater. We, we I complained about not having those surprise moments. I want you, the viewer, to have those surprise moments. So. Know that from our perspective, it's a damn good film and totally worthy of your dollars to go see it in the theater. But Carrie, now that it's time, I think I know, but I'm (laughs) going to guess anyways, or at least ask, who is your MVP of Argyle?
1: Oh, without a doubt, it's Sam Rockwell. Yeah, I knew. Yeah. I knew. Oh, I just, again, he is just so incredibly charming and funny and and just so damn likable even when you think you might not like him he's so likable oh you
0: like him you know you like him
1: you must like him
0: not my mvp no no the cat no no No. i i did have both sam rockwell and bryce dallas howard in my honorable mentions because she was great in this she was absolutely she was No, my MVP is Henry Cavill.
1: <laughs> really?
0: Because the comedy doesn't exist in the Argyle character if he doesn't play it so straight and so serious, but yet still so deadpan comedy, like it's it's smart comedy from him.
1: Do you think he was underutilized? Do you think they could have
0: No. No, I used I, more. I think they used him exactly the amount that they needed to use him for fear of taking away from Ellie's story. Like, it's Ellie's story. Argyle's just the fictional creation of Ellie. And that, that's not taken away. That's, that's all in the trailer. It's all in the trailer. But because Henry Cavill's moments on camera are so in fictional character and the fact that the character is such a play on or at least a feels like a play on some of his past roles like if it was any other action star probably not so much but i think because it's henry cavill and because he's almost playing it with a wink and a nod it makes it even funnier and that works for this film carrie thank you so much not just for you know coming to the movies with me you know because that's always fun i love our movie date nights but for also turning it into a work trip You cannot claim this though. Boo. No, you cannot submit an expense report for this because no.
1: I'd like to speak to the supervisor, please. Okay, I'm here. <laughs> I disagree.
0: Overruled. Okay. Now, to you, our listeners, you guys know the drill. If there's a movie out there that you think is unfairly maligned or is just so bad that there is no way in a cat's backpack that we can find anything good to say about it, hit us up on social media at Not That Badcast or go to our website at NotThatBadcast.com. And while you're there, make sure you check out our Coming Soon page so you can chime in on all the episodes we have coming up. Until next time, she's Carrie. I'm Jay. You guys are awesome. This is It's Not That Bad, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Take care.